Hello, and welcome to Let's Talk, a new series of candid conversations covering the issues facing freelance professionals today. I'm Tom Rizzo, your host, managing director and founder of Plectrum Advisors, an investment advisory firm based in Los Angeles. On each episode of Let's Talk, I'll be speaking with some of the most plugged in experts to help you and me make sense of today's changing environment and to help you be smarter about how to approach work and life. So let's get started. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Let's Talk. I'm Tom Rizzo, your host, and I'm the founder and managing director of Plectrum Advisors, an investment advisory firm based in Los Angeles. Today's guest on Let's Talk is Kim Roberts Hedgepeth, the executive director of the Film Musicians Secondary Markets Fund. Kim's been the executive director of the fund since 2014, and many of you already know about Kim's tireless efforts to help musicians, conductors, orchestrators, copyists, contractors, and others receive the residuals they're entitled to. On today's episode, we'll ask Kim how it all works, and we'll find out what individuals can do to help maximize their residual benefits. Welcome, Kim. Thanks so much for being here today. I'm, I'm so looking forward to chatting with you, and I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today. Well, thank you for having me, and I look forward to our conversation. That's great. You know, you and I have known each other for a long time, and uh, we've had some uh, great conversations over the years about um, uh, what's going on at the fund. Mm -hmm. uh, we have so many of our clients and people that view our uh, either uh, current participants in the fund or uh, soon-to-be participants, and I thought this would be a great way to shed some light on uh, the mechanics of the fund, how it works, and, uh, and that kind of thing. So, Happy to do so. So I, my, my first question is, why don't we just start with, you know, basic nuts and bolts. Just tell me, what is the Film Musician Secondary Markets Fund? Um, well, first of all, thank you for getting the name. It's a mouthful. Uh, but the Film Musician Secondary Markets Fund, and I will say the fund, uh, just to make it easier, uh, is a nonprofit organization that is cre was created in 1972 for the purpose of collecting, uh, allocating, and distributing the residuals that are due to musicians uh, who work in film and television for the what's called secondary exploitation of the film or TV shows that uh, they worked on, uh, that they scored on. Uh, we are actually a 501c6 uh, organization under uh, the law. Many people think of us as being a part of the AFM union. We actually are not. We are a separate organization. Uh, however, we exist to uh, process those residuals that are required under the American Federation of Musicians, theatrical and television, and actually live videotape uh, collective bargaining agreements. Interesting. Uh, can you define um, what it means by secondary market? Uh, that's that's great. Secondary market is, as the name might imply, um, let me give you an easy example. 
when there is a motion picture that is first shown in theaters, that is the primary market. And then when that motion picture, say, goes to, for those of us who are old school, goes to DVD, or if it goes to Netflix or Hulu or is shown on traditional television, any of those markets are considered secondary markets. So what the uh, AFM contract provides is that when that motion picture moves to those secondary markets, uh, the musicians get to share in the revenue that is generated by the exploitation in those second, secondary markets. And how, how do you collect this revenue? How does the fund go about collecting it? We collect it in two different ways. Uh, first of all, the structure for these secondary market residuals, uh, which is a lot more complex than that one example I just gave you, the structure is actually consistent with the structure for secondary market residuals or what's called supplemental market residuals for the other unions and guilds uh, in the film and television industry. So SAG-AFTRA actors and singers, uh, DGA members, uh, Writers Guild members, their contracts all have secondary or supplemental market provisions as well. So the entire industry, the major studios and major companies uh, know that they are required to pay uh, once a quarter uh, the, res the amounts that are required under the collective bargaining agreement. In addition, the secondary markets fund has its own um, uh, program to follow up on collections. Uh, we actually do what are called um, compliance reviews. Uh, we call them audits in the shorthand uh, to take a look and make sure that uh, the residuals that we have received uh, are consistent with what's required under the collective bargaining agreement. How, how do the, um, you, you mentioned the other guilds, the uh, DGA and SAG-AFTRA, uh, writers, et cetera. How do the, the percentages that the musicians are, uh, have bargained for, how do they compare to the residuals that uh, a SAG member might get or, um, or one of the other guilds might get? Well, the, the percentages are based on what's called producer's gross or distributor's gross receipts, which is a uh, somewhat misleading term, but it's a very complicated formula in the, collect, in the various collective bargaining agreements. The, um, the percentages of those producers gross or distributors gross receipts are different. So for example, uh, and I'm just gonna give one shorthand example, there may be in one uh, move uh, from a primary market to a secondary market, SAG-AFTRA SAG would be entitled to 6% of producers gross that is divided up among its members uh, who are on the particular film. Uh, DGA might have 2%, WGA might have 1%, uh, 2%, and the AF of them would um, have 1%. That is sort of the general three to one uh, structure that you might find. 
but that's very, very simplified. Um, there are a lot of different percentages that can apply depending upon which contract you're talking about and depending upon what primary market you're starting with and the secondary market that it moves to. Uh, uh. So um, is it correct to say that, the, um, do, you, do you use the term residuals? Do you call this a residual? These are exactly, these are residuals. And it's important, I think, for people to understand the difference between residuals and royalties, mm -hmm. uh, particularly those who are in the music field, uh, who are familiar with royalties. People sometimes conflate the two, but they are actually mm -hmm. quite different. Royalties, uh, first of all, are usually 1099 income, uh, whereas residuals are actually wages. And so when we process uh, residuals and pay them to the musicians. They are wages, uh, W-2 income. And so the residuals that we process for musicians, the musician is getting credit for social security and credit for unemployment insurance and credit for Medicare, which and when you get to a certain stage in life is really, really important that you have those credits earned up. Yes. Do the do the producers pay that portion or does the fund pay that portion? The fund pays it. So the fund, one of the things that is unique about the way this fund works is that this fund takes the aggregate amount, the 1% the of, let's say, the producer's gross. And from that amount, the fund, the fund uh, remits the, social, the taxes, employer taxes, um, obviously the, the expenses of the organization, and then actually divides up and makes the payments to the musicians directly. We essentially, one way to think of us, uh, it's a shorthand, it's not totally accurate, but it's a shorthand way to think of us. Think of us as a nonprofit payroll house. Uh, and that's an easy way to conceptualize the work that, that is done here at the fund. Mm -hmm. And how does a musician know that they are entitled to or are covered by um, uh, these uh, uh, or entitled to the, um, this royalty? I mean, how does that uh, how does that work? Well, first, in order to be entitled to the residuals that the secondary markets fund collects, the musician had to have worked under an American Federation of Musicians contract, either scoring as a AFM union musician on a motion picture or scoring on a television show. And when I say television show, by the way, I'm including the new media platforms as well. Um, so that's the first criteria. Were they working in the context of an AFM contract? The way that they would know is one of two ways. So let's say you worked on uh, the Kim Roberts biography movie, um, which is not going to get sold anywhere, but <laughs> we'll use that as an example. If you worked on that, one of two things is going to happen. Uh, first of all, if you go to our website to see if that that um, that show paid in in a given year, you might know, and then you might reach out to our office and say, I noticed that the Kim Roberts biography paid residuals this year. Am I entitled? That's question number one. But more likely, the musician will receive a notification from us. Uh, 
uh, a letter that says, um, you, you are now entitled to residuals. We have learned that, that I'm going to call them a new musician, someone who's never uh, been entitled to a residual before. They will get a letter from us and we will ask them to fill out information so that we can process the payment to them, including making sure that we are processing the payment and reporting Social Security, Medicare, and unemployment insurance on their behalf. So usually they'll get a notification from us, but occasionally um, the musician might find the information on our website and make the inquiry to us. I see. And talk a little bit about the distribution. When, when do musicians get, uh, get paid for these residuals if they're uh, in time? Christmas in July, as it is commonly known uh, amongst uh, the community. Uh, the way it works is that the, uh, the, fund, the fund operates on a fiscal year basis that runs from April 1 through March 31 of each year. So everything that we have collected uh, between April 1 and March 31, we then make sure that we're doing our allocations, our reconciliations between April and June 30th. And on July 1st of each year is the major distribution, um, what, we call, what we call here at the fund, the regular distribution of the residuals. There is also a second distribution in, in or about the latter half of September, which is called the omissions distribution. If we discover that there was a musician who was not included in the information that was sent to me, sent to us, and therefore um, might not have gotten a residual in a re regular distribution, we have what's called an omissions distribution to basically catch that musician up and make sure that he or she uh, receives the residuals they should have gotten and are credited going forward. Nice. Uh you know, we have uh, the unusual situation we had happen over the last 24 months or so with a, you know, worldwide uh, shutdown because of the pandemic. Uh, we, ha we had many of our uh, clients asking me, what's this going to mean for the distribution? Is it going to, is my check going to be smaller? Is it going to be bigger? Um, and a lot of them had the question of what's the what's the time frame or like what's the lag time from when I work on a film to when it is likely to pay money. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that process sure. and how that works? Sure. It, and it, it varies. Uh, one of the reasons it varies is because what's known in the industry as day and date is just constantly changing. And particularly since the uh, onset of the pandemic, where companies um, are essentially were putting things uh, in theaters and well, frankly, they weren't even putting anything in the theater. They were putting it out on uh, the streaming services, but now they're putting things in theaters and the streaming services almost simultaneously. Um, so it does vary, but generally speaking, in the old model, uh, it could take as long as 18 months from the day that one did the actual scoring session 
before the residuals would flow through. Because um, let's say you did the scoring session in, in April, the, uh, the, the motion picture hit theaters in June. And then again, in the old model, they started selling the DVDs in November or December for the holiday season. We won't be, we here at the fund won't be receiving the uh, receipts from that secondary market distribution or the, the residuals based on that receipts. We wouldn't be seeing that until February, sometimes May of the following year. And then depending upon whether it falls before March 31st or after March 31st would determine as to whether or not it gets issued in a, the 1st July or the 2nd July after that. So it does vary. It tends to be a little faster for television because television product tends to move to a secondary market faster. Uh, but again, as I said earlier, uh, the the old rules have changed and it's now all over the lot uh, as to what the timing is. Yeah. With respect to 2020, when the pandemic hit and the work shut down, uh, the fund in that year, it was uh, the one time that the fund was able to do this, uh, did essentially drop everything else that it was doing. And our staff, even though most of our staff was working remotely, which was a, a tough transition, uh, made sure that we were able to get what normally would have been sent out in July, we were able to get it out uh, by the third week in May, because we understood that musicians all over the country, and particularly here in, in Los Angeles, the jobs just disappeared. Yeah. So the fund was able uh, at that one time to be able to do an, an early distribution. It's not something we could repeat, but we were able to do it in 2020 due to extraordinary circumstances. Oh, that was that was so welcome for so so many of us. Um, even if it was you know six or seven weeks early, boy, it was it was a, a very important six or seven weeks. So um, it was really great you were able to do that um, it, during the pandemic. I mean, streaming became uh, much more prevalent. Uh, mm -hmm. You couldn't go to a theater, you know. So uh, the services put so many more things available for streaming. Um, but can you talk generally about what the the effect of the increase in streaming uh, product and services might have on the fund currently and as we move forward here? That is a very good question. Uh, I think we all wish we had a, a crystal ball that was clear as opposed to foggy. I will say that uh, during the past year, uh, the, the fiscal year that we call our fiscal year 2021, uh, we're, we're still coming to the end of fiscal year 2022. So we're, we're, we don't have those numbers locked down yet. But the year of the pandemic, which was for us fiscally April 1, 2020 through March 31, 2021, was actually the highest year of collections that this fund had in its 50-year history. Uh, we are now at the point where, based on our uh, the numbers we receive, uh, approximately 40% of the residuals that are collected are due to the release of product into streaming media. So 
theatrical motion pictures or television shows that are moving over to streaming media. Now, whether or not the um, that significant bump in that fiscal year uh, that ended March 31 of 2020 was the result of the pandemic and everyone sitting home, whether it was part of an ongoing trend, because there has been a trend over the last 10 years in the growth of residuals that are resulting from release and streaming media, that has been a growing share of what is collected every year. Whether that was a blip, whether it was part of a normal trend is something that uh, we will continue to monitor here at the fund. But I think it's fair to say um, without any guarantee, I can no longer guarantee, I cannot guarantee what the future holds, but it's fair to say that that streaming will become increasingly more uh, the share of what is coming into the fund. Um, so last year we hit $124 million collected. Uh, whether or not we're going to exceed that uh, when we close the books on fiscal 2022, we don't quite know yet, but we're, we're watching very closely. Excellent. Excellent. You know, one of one of the questions I get and that I, I have for myself um, is musicians who have participated in these AF of M um, uh, sessions over the years. Let's say they worked on a film 20 or 25 years ago. They um, when they get their statements, they see that that film from 25 years ago or something paid something into the fund and they got a um, residual from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's a little unclear how that happens, why that happens, and if that's likely to continue. Can you talk a little bit about that sure. process? Well, the reason it happens is because it is required under the AFM agreement. So as long as a movie that you worked on or a TV show that you worked on is being exploited in secondary markets and revenue or distributors receipts are being generated from that exploitation, there continues to be an obligation to pay the residuals and remit them to the fund. Now, it usually is the case that as the years go on, the amount that is remitted gets smaller and smaller and smaller, but you will for sometimes you will have occasionally, let's say there's a 25th anniversary or a 50th anniversary of a, a, a show or a film that there's renewed interest and there may be uh, increased receipts and you get a little bit of a bump uh, that happens. But generally speaking, the first two to three years after uh, a, a motion picture or a television show is exhibited in its first market. The first two to three years after that is probably where the bulk of the uh, receipts are generated and therefore the bulk of the residuals. But yes, you can you can still be getting residuals 25, 30, 40, 50 years afterwards if that motion picture or TV show is, is still generating uh, receipts in a secondary market. 
And that's the really good news about the strength of these AFM contracts um, in terms of being able to uh, protect your lifestyle. Uh, as as these products continue to make money, we we have a very small, but still we have a, uh, a a little bit of participation in the in the profit of that movie. Absolutely, absolutely. You know the the term new media is uh, is used quite a bit these days, and I'm not sure anybody. Would any two people will agree on what that means? Can you talk a little bit about that term, new media, and how it might affect collections and what this might mean for the future? Sure. Well, the term new media, first of all, it's no longer new media, but once it's called new media in the contract, that becomes the name of it. But um, no one would call streaming in this day and age new media anymore. Uh, it's uh, it's been in the contracts uh, more in a more sophisticated way. It's been in the the various guild and union contracts since uh, the 20, 2008 through 2010 was the cycle of negotiations when most of the unions got um, sophisticated formulas in their contracts. But the term new media that is used in these contracts is streaming services. Um, particularly the ones where the consumer, you and I as the viewer, has to pay something. So think Netflix or uh, Hulu uh, or Amazon, and there's so many others now, I can't even rattle rattle them all off. It also refers to um, electronic sell-throughs. So uh, there's there's a couple of different ways. There are basically three different ways which we as a consumer uh, would get something through quote unquote new media. One is we're signed up to Netflix or or Amazon Prime and we basically pay a subscription. That's one one way. Um, or we actually download it to keep. Um, uh, think of it as an electronic version of a DVD, if you will. Uh, and that also is one construct of quote new media. Uh, in the contract. And then the third is the free to the consumer model, uh, the YouTube model where you don't pay for something or uh, what used to be uh, ABC.com or NBC.com where they might show you something for free. Uh, But you have to sit through commercials uh, like you do on traditional television. Those are sort of the three new media models as the contract contemplates that. It doesn't mean that there won't be new technology and and as time goes on, the term new media will embrace new things, but that is sort of the three basic constructs that are in the collective bargaining agreement now. I see. And collections for new media are uh, are ongoing. Is that that's that's that's, that's ongoing? And but it does differ. Um, the when I speak about the residuals that are coming from new media, I am speaking about traditional television shows or theatrical motion pictures that are moving to a subscription service or download uh, or free to the consumer advertising. Uh, there aren't at this point as much generated under the contract for product that is originally made for new media. 
So if it starts out intention, if if it's originally intended for one of those new media services, the residuals aren't at this point as robust um, as they are when you have traditional, what I'll call old school uh, product moving to uh, the new services. Got it. Got it. Uh, you know, I want to shift to uh, another area, uh, and this is an area that uh, in my business I uh, am uh, trying to help my clients protect themselves, and that's the area of making sure that they've named a beneficiary and a successor beneficiary to this potentially, as you've said, 50-year-long or possibly mm-hmm. infinitely long a stream of uh, these residuals. Can you talk a little bit about um, the importance of naming a beneficiary and how they would do that? It's critically important. Um, I, I cannot stress enough, and thank you for raising raising it. Uh, first of all, the AFM contract is actually quite unique in that it has a very specific provision that talks about how beneficiary Uh, rights work. And so the AFM contract is very specific that uh, when a musician passes away, the residuals that are generated on his or her account will go to the person that they've identified, the musician identified as their beneficiary with us. They have to fill out a card with us identifying that. If they have not um, done that, then it automatically goes to the surviving spouse, if there is a surviving spouse. But if the person fails to either name a beneficiary with us, uh, they have it has to be on a card that we have, or and does not have a surviving spouse, then it, it will go to the estate, but that could take years to resolve. And it can be very, very complex. Um, and so the safest thing for any musician is to make sure when we send out that musician, that first musician packet, there will be a beneficiary card included and they should fill out that beneficiary card. And they actually get to, to name what I'm going to call two generations. They get to name a beneficiary and they get to name what's called a musician's final beneficiary. So I would, as a musician, I would get to say, when I pass away, here's who I name as my beneficiary. And when my beneficiary passes away, here's who I am naming should receive the residuals after my beneficiary passes away. But again, that needs to be put on the card, what we call the beneficiary form, beneficiary confirmation form. That needs to be provided to the fund. And life changes. Um, And so as things change, uh, musicians should absolutely update their beneficiary information uh, with us, make sure that they keep their address, their contact information up to date, and as life changes happen, to make sure that they update their beneficiary and musician uh, final beneficiary information as well. That's really good information. Is there a way for current participants to check to see yes. if they have filled out the card and if the information is is what they want? 
Well, first of all, if they've received a statement, uh, if they've received a residual statement from us, it will be noted on the bottom of the statement who your beneficiary is, or you will have something that says no beneficiary identified, please contact the fund and update your beneficiary information. They can also uh, sign up for what's called account access, which is uh, essentially your own personal account on our website where you can look up your information. Uh, and so to enroll in that, you can go to our website at um, fmsmf.org, we're at .org, uh, and look up uh, account access and sign up for that. Uh, but if you don't have that at the end of the day, you can always just reach out to our participant services department. Um, and uh, you can contact them again through the web uh, and they will as assist you. Uh, I think we'll put, um, we'll put the, um, the website address up on the screen here so people can, uh, can see it. And is, there, um, uh, is the most efficient way for people to uh, find answers to these questions to do it online or are there phone numbers they can call or, or what do you recommend? Well, I would say both. Uh, I would say that um, certainly you can find a lot of information on our website. Uh, we do have a toll-free number, which I don't have memorized, but <laughs> I, I will get that before we are finished today uh, with you. And you can always leave a message for our participant services department. Um, they are, are very, uh, very committed to making sure that they respond quickly uh, to participants who have left a message. But the website uh, has a treasure trove of information, and I would encourage uh, anyone to start at fmsmf.org. Great. Well, well, we'll put that up on the screen so that people can go. And, and uh, I know you and I encourage people to, um, to be involved in the contact and absolutely to check the beneficiary status and to update mm -hmm. it. And I, I think we have, we've run into several situations where people said, oh, yeah, I, I, I filled out a beneficiary card. And, and they haven't. So they yes. probably filled out beneficiary for a bank or an IRA or something and thought it was this. So this is yes. extremely important. Right? That's, that's very common. And I think it's, it's also, again, very important for people to remember that while we exist here at the fund and our work and the mission of the fund is in support of musicians who work under the AFM agreements, the fund is not part of the American Federation of Musicians. So someone might have filled out information with the union or their local or with the union pension plan, that, it, that information has no bearing with the fund. So this fund needs its own documentation in order to process uh, beneficiary matters. Yeah. I mean, honestly, Kim, of all the things we've talked about today, this is probably the most important thing for people who are participating in here to do, um, just to, to make sure this is taken care of. I, I, we've run into so many situations where just like you said, they thought they had filled it out, but it was an AFM card. Right. Or if it was AFM pension card, mm -hmm. 
and it's easy to conflate these things, but it's, uh, so I, I'm going to make a, a second plea here for anybody who's watching to, you know, just check, go on the website, just check or call and just confirm that the, you first of all have listed a beneficiary and the, uh, I use the term successor beneficiary, but I think you have, you have another term. We, we call them colloquially, we call them MFBs, which is musicians, final beneficiary. Final beneficiary. <laughs> and the toll-free number, if anyone needs to call our participant services uh, staff is 888-888. Great. We'll put that up on the screen. Thank you. So that they can, they can call. Uh, Is there, is there anything else that the fund does that we haven't, uh, we haven't covered here? Do you have other services? Actually the fund, (laughs) the fund's mission is actually identified in the AFM agreement. The, the agreement that was, is negotiated between the AFM and the AMPTP, which is the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers. That's the employer, employer group. There are actually two missions of the fund. The first one is what we've been talking about, which is collecting, allocating, and distributing residuals. But the second mission, which I believe was negotiated into the contract in or around 2004, um, is for the fund to serve to support essentially both sides of the bargaining table, the film and television music community on various challenges that the community might confront. The way that the Secondary Markets Fund um, implements that aspect of its of its mission is predominantly in an educational way. So for example, we host panel discussions to help educate not just musicians, but particularly young composers and young filmmakers about music uh, in film and television, particularly for many young filmmakers. They come out of school and they understand how to edit, they understand how to shoot, but they don't get much of an education about how music works in film, how to pay for it, how to budget for it, how to think about it. What are the things you need to know? You can't just grab your favorite record and throw it in your motion picture (laughs) without getting permissions and negotiating. So we do try and help uh, particularly young, younger people coming into the industry uh, to learn about uh, how this fund works, how music in the industry works. Uh, We actually have on our YouTube channel, we do have a YouTube channel, um, videos of some of the panel discussions uh, that we have held. We also, for musicians particularly, uh, we have conducted, we've used the, the ubiquity of Zoom technology, everybody's doing Zoom now since the pandemic, to host some webinars that we call FMSMF 101, which is really designed to just explain what is the Secondary Markets Fund, how do residuals work, all the things that you're asking about, who's covered. Uh, A lot of people, when you say musician, they only think about the person who plays the violin or the trombone or the piano. A lot of people don't remember that the term musician 
in the AFM world includes the conductor and the contractor, the orchestrator, the arranger, the copyist, all of those people also participate in residuals uh, that are um, man, uh, collected and distributed by this fund. Well, Kim, this is such, such great information here. I, um, I, I'm so thrilled that you took the time to educate us about what it is that you do, what people can expect. Um, we, uh, as, as the world is going through, it's, I mean, we're, it appears that the world is beginning to open up again, you know, God willing here. Um, but as people are getting back to work, this has become, you know, more top of mind in terms of uh, um, what, this, what this will mean and what, what the fund revenues will mean. And for so many people that participate for a um, significant period of time, um, the fund revenues end up being a very significant portion of their um, their revenue so it's a um, it, it's it's a really important they, everybody knows it's an important source but I think it's also very important to really get an understanding of how this works and what it's likely to do in the future here so absolutely we we also understand here at the fund we we are here to serve the musicians the participants uh, uh, both the musicians and the mu the other participants, the musicians, beneficiaries. Uh, I should note, I, I have been speaking very generally about film and television shows, but I also want to make a note that there is a third AF of M contract that generates residuals that this office also administers. And those are supplemental markets or secondary market residuals for a live television, live and videotape television shows. So think Saturday Night Live, Colbert, uh, The Tonight Show, um, all, all of the, the, the strip shows that are, that are at, at night, uh, Seth Meyers, um, late, late night. Those also generate residuals under the AFM contracts. It's, it's not as large as the film and, and uh, TV film agreements, but for particularly for the house bands, uh, that is a very steady, the residuals that we process here, a very steady source of secondary income. So uh, as, as, uh, folks begin to work with some of those bands or appear on any of those late night shows, um, it's really important for them to be uh, aware of this fund as well. Well, that's good. That's good to know, Kim. And uh, uh, once again, I just really appreciate you taking the time here to enlighten us. Uh, we all so appreciate the, um, the great job that you're doing over there. Um, and uh, I, I can't imagine the logistical complexity of what you and your staff must have to go through in order to uh, process so many of these transactions. So we're all, we're all very grateful that wow. we, we have you at the helm here, Kim. Well, thank you very much. And uh, the credit goes uh, to the team that works here. Um, people may not you know, know, know the names, but they, the team here is incredibly dedicated to the community of musicians and uh, understand how important this, this, 
these residuals are. I one of the things that we do here, uh, I I write these letters very often, is when a musician uh, needs to get a loan to buy a house. Um, when you're a freelance musician, it's not like you have the regular job to go to, so you have to prove your income. And since this fund is often a very important and significant part of the income that a musician may earn. Uh, we very often have to provide proof of earnings, proof of, of what's called employment, even though it's really not employment. Uh, and uh, so that's just one indicia of the uh, understanding that this fund has as to how important it is for us to do our jobs um, uh, with integrity, with accuracy, with speed on behalf of the musicians who uh, let's face it, the world would be a really gloomy place if we did not have the talents and the skills and the craft of the musicians who make our, our television, our movies, and our video programs come to life. Yeah, I totally, I totally agree. Well, on that note, I think I will uh, wrap it up here, Kim. Thanks, thanks again for Thank uh, enlightening us. And uh, once again, we'll, we'll put the information up on the screen now. Uh, of the uh, the website and the phone numbers. And I'll make my final pitch for everybody checking your beneficiary cards and uh, make sure that those are as you uh, intend. And uh, uh, feel free to reach out to the fund if you have any questions, if you're a participant on how things are going. Um, these are good people and they're, they're here to help you. So um, we'll have that information up. And Kim, I just, I look forward to our next conversation. Maybe uh, down the line here, we'll, uh, we'll check in again. And uh, as the world begins to open up again, we'll have another conversation and see, uh, see where we are at that time. We look forward to it. And thank you for the time. It was a pleasure getting a chance to talk with you again. Thanks, Kim. You take care of yourself and we'll be in touch. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, that's it for today's broadcast with Kim Roberts from the Film Musician Secondary Markets Fund. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you'll come back for more. We've got some great guests lined up and we'll be sure to let you know when the episodes are available. Thanks again for watching. Music